0: This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet, and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development, I'm Brian Thompson.
1: And co-presenting this edition, I'm Michelle Tang.
0: Episode 54 is all about ensuring nutritious school meals for children while battling global food waste. Have you ever wondered how to make reducing food waste cool for young people.
1: Anna Avilés and Leticia Tanchella from the Youth Towards Zero Food Waste campaign will give us some tips on how to spark that enthusiasm and involve the next generation in the global mission to tackle food waste. Then we'll visit Guatemala to speak to EFAT's Isabel de la Pena about linking family farming with the school meals national program.
0: Guatemala set a groundbreaking example with its school nutrition law in 2017, guaranteeing nutritious meals for children while supporting local farmers. At the heart of this legislation, there's a unique twist. 50% of the sourced produce is dedicated to supporting local farmers.
1: Elsewhere, we head further south to hear from IFAD's Hardy Vieira about the Pro semi project in Brazil and its school feeding programs. This project aims to reduce poverty in the state of Bahia and support family farmers so that they can restore their livelihoods through agriculture.
0: Don't forget, we want to hear from you what you think about our stories and who you want us to be talking to. So please get in touch with us at podcasts at ifad.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform. And please don't forget to rate us. Coming up, we tell you all about how younger generations are holding the world accountable for reducing food waste. You're listening to episode 54 of Farms Food Future with me, Brian Thompson and Michelle Tang. Before we see how school meal policies are being adapted around the world, I want to ask Michelle what she thought of her school meals back in the last century. How was it, Michelle?
1: Thank you for asking. It was very standard fare and uh, actually weight gainers. The more you eat, you just grow.
0: (laughs) That's true, yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure things are better now.
0: I hated school meals. It was all cabbage and boiled puddings and... Custard. Oh dear. It actually sounds quite nice. Anyway,
1: actually, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Um, anyway, now we're looking at what we're doing right here in Rome to tackle food issues among youth. Meet Anna Aviles Ramirez and Leticia Tancela Nihois, co leaders of the Youth Towards Zero Food Waste campaign. This is an initiative run by the World Food Forum, backed by IFAD the Food and Agriculture Organization, and the World Food Programme. And what's their mission?
1: Nothing less than igniting passion and involvement among younger generations, holding the world accountable for reducing food waste. As this impactful campaign takes shape, anticipate a wave of engaging activities. Think cooking hackathons and masterclasses covering everything from meal prepping to savvy tips on food preservation. Anna and Letitia talked to our reporter, Kira Rainsby, about why food is such an important issue for our youth
2: today. Let's hear all about it. Welcome to you both. We're very excited to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting us, and we're honored to be here with you today. For us, food has always had a profound significance throughout all generations. It's also very intertwined with social and cultural aspects. For example, when I meet someone from different culture, for example, Leticia here with me today, she's from Brazil. And when I met her, one of the first things I thought was like Brazilian culture and Brazilian food and what aspects of Brazil did I know? And it's just a really good way for you to be able to connect. And through food, we're also able to explore different cultures. You can experiment with different culinary creations. And it's just a way to kind of create create a community and find shared interest with your peers, But recently, we've noticed there's a surging awareness where you're just thinking about what impact your food choices can have on the environment. But at the same time, it's also a question about how accessible and how affordable food is. Because especially as young people today, we can see that so many young people are already suffering from food insecurity at an age where food is so crucial. So I think it's also brought into play for us the role of youth and how youth need to be involved in reshaping our agri-food systems overall, because we are the ones that will bear the consequences in the future. So we really want to be part of this collective effort for overall environmental conservation and food security, just a catalyst for overall social transformation. So how
3: will your initiatives help solve and tackle the issue of food waste? We always try to implement different impact initiatives that will give youth a real chance to make this concrete impact on the ground. And seeing this gap, we decided to focus on engagement and empowerment
2: of young people. And through this campaign, we're really operating through four stages. And through these four stages, we begin with a learning phase. So we're prioritizing really education and being able to give young people and also different communities the skills to conduct a food waste audit whether it's a small audit for just a meal or it's for an entire week you're actually able to see the impact you're having and how much food you're wasting and it drives you into our second stage which is the action portion where we're trying to empower youth with different choices they have to combat food waste so they can build a compost they can start a food pantry in their university and their community and their schools or they can start an awareness campaign so other people can also realize how much food they're wasting, basically the last stage of our campaign, which is to scale up the efforts. So continuous learning, continuous improvement, but also empowering other people in our communities and showcasing what we're doing to inspire other people to continue our change in our movement. And besides these four stages, we've also recently had several masterclasses on food waste, we also recently had a 50-day challenge with free rice in which we raised over 100 million grains of rice. And we were able to engage over 120,000 people and just help them learn about this issue. And finally, how will this project benefit, one, farmers,
3: secondly, rural communities, and lastly, youth Well, so as the name says, the Youth for Zero Food Waste campaign is specifically focused on involving and empowering young individuals to address food waste. But we also really want to extend this work to a community level. So we're able to have this sort of ripple effect of change. And the benefits Overall, are similar for farmers and rural communities as well, because and the individual level, when we talk about it, there is not really this distinction because we really want to bridge behavioural change. So here's also where farmers will have an engagement because it is an issue that could happen during production. So that would affect farmers in a different way, additionally to the empowerment and education of youth for behavioural changes.
0: Thanks to Anna and Letitia. You can read all about this campaign at www.world/food/forum.org. Next up, we talk about the School Feeding Programme in Guatemala.
1: You're listening to Farm's Food Future with me, Michelle Tang, and Brian Thompson. In 2019, EFAD, with the World Food Programme and FAO started the linking family farming with the School Meals National Programme in Guatemala. Their initiatives are currently reaching over 12,000 students in 60 schools across the nation. Even during the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, when schools temporarily closed, the innovative solution of distributing fresh food to parents enabled the most vulnerable children to thrive at home.
0: Isabel de la Peña is IFAD's country director in Guatemala. She shared with our reporter, Roberto Gonzalez, the goals of this programme and its crucial role in securing a healthier future for Guatemala's school children. Hi Isabel.
4: Hello. The origin of the program was the school feeding law in Guatemala, which was approved in 2017. And the law established that at least 50% of the school food was to be sourced from local family farms. And that percentage was rise to 70% of the school food sourced from family farmers after five years. And the law also established a budget per student per day to fund the school meals program. So the law signaled that there was a strong commitment from the government of Guatemala to enhance family farmers' income generation and also the provision of local nutritious foods for the school children. So in this context, EFAD developed a program which goal was to contribute to the effective participation of family farming organizations in the school feeding program as local suppliers of these healthy and nutritious foods with cultural relevance. Specifically, the project aimed to improve the management skills of the family farming organization, so improving their productivity, their access to markets, and the program was implemented in three departments of the country, and it aimed to develop an operational model and and the coordination mechanisms that could then be scaled up at national level. Another feature that's also relevant from the pool feeding program in Guatemala that it's worth mentioning is that the program works through a decentralized procurement model through the parents associations. So it's the parents associations in the schools that are in charge of purchasing the foods locally. And that was proved very useful because it allowed to streamline administrative process. It also encouraged community ownership and social audits. Thank you, Isabel. How did the program contribute to better nutrition and access to healthy products? I would say there were two main contributions that the program made to nutrition. The first one would be to improve access to healthy and nutritious meals for the students. So the program developed school food menus that were contextualized to the each of the three departments. And these menus incorporated nutrition considerations, so fresh, healthy, and diverse foods. It also considered cultural pertinence because there's a high presence of Indigenous peoples in the communities where the program was taking place. And then it also considered where products were available locally from the family farmers. And then in the case of the program, since part of the program was implemented during the COVID-19 pandemic, During part of the program, it switched to take-home rations that were prepared while the schools were closed for the pandemic. And in the development of those take-home rations, there was also these considerations of nutrition. And then secondly, the program also contributed to building capacities on nutrition and raising nutrition awareness. So the program carried out several nutrition trainings with the parents' associations, the school staff, local authorities, the national institutions that were part of the program, so Ministry of Agriculture and Ministry of Education, as well as the students themselves. There were trainings on, on basic nutrition, dietary diversity, good nutritional practices, and also school gardens were included as a pedagogical tool to improve eating habits and nutrition of school children. Thank you. What are the main outcomes you would highlight from this program? Well, the program positively impacted, on one hand, food security and nutrition, and on the other hand, local economic development. So in terms of food security and nutrition, there was an increase in access and intake to fresh, nutritious, and culturally pertinent food in the targeted schools and for the school children. And in terms of local economic development, it generated new income opportunities for family farmers. For example, the average income of the family farmers organizations involved in the program increased from around $978 per week to 7200 $157 per week. But I think it's also relevant to highlight the fact that the program was successful in establishing those linkages between the family farmers and the schools. So by the end of the program, 100% of the schools were purchasing from family farmers and the program built the capacities of those family farmers organizations of what is needed to become providers of the school feeding program. So there was a strong linkage that was created that will also enable the sustainability and the scaling up of the project results in the future.
0: Thank you to Isabel and to our reporter Roberto. Tune in for episode 55 which drops in two weeks or the second Monday of March as we tell you all about women's leadership in preserving traditional local foods. You can also check out our latest podcasts, 52 and 53, on safeguarding marine biodiversity in the battle against climate change and power of seaweed. In two weeks' time, we'll be back with podcast 55, where we'll be seeing how women influence and shape food systems, and then looking ahead to podcast 56, where we'll hear from young rural trailblazers now we're back to talking school meals with hardy vieira in brazil
1: you're listening to podcast 54 of farms food future with me michelle tang and brian thompson efad's school feeding program supports smallholders by strengthening their markets organizations and families since students have access to healthy and local food in the schools
0: Hadi Vieira is IFAD's country program coordinator in Brazil. He spoke with our reporter Roberto González about the school feeding program in the IFAD-supported Pro Semiarido project in Bahia, and details the outcomes and lessons learned.
5: The pro-semi-arid project is a project uh, that IFAD finances with the government of the state of Bahia in Brazil and it aims to contribute to the reduction of rural poverty to sustainable income generation, increased production and the creation of job opportunities in the agricultural and agricultural dimensions. This project specifically only operates in the semi-arid area of Bahia, including 32 municipalities which is the poorest area in Brazil. It's an area which has a lot of tendency to face constraints regarding climate change and desertification, and also includes the poorest communities.
4: Thank you, Hari. What are the outcomes of the school feeding program so far?
5: Well, the school feeding program establishes 30% 30% of it's purchased from family farming. In the case specifically of the state of Bahia, there is a new law that 100% of all the school feeding program of the schools located in the state of Bahia, they have to come from family farmers. So basically, what we can see now is the link of the schools with the project so that the products that are consumed by students, they originate from family agriculture. Why this is important? Because before... Most of the schools in the semi-arid, they would purchase products and food produced in the southern region of Brazil and main capital centers and cities. Now, what we see is that family farming products, mostly agricultural and very healthy food products, are provided to the students. More than that we see that local products are cultivated and produced. This not only provides healthy food to students, but also is a major income opportunity to the smallholder sector in the rural areas of Brazil. So this linkage provides what we call a very important market access possibility to family farmers. We have more than 100 schools operating, and in all of this, the project provides food products and mainly supporting associations, organizations, cooperatives to be ready to supply these products. So what the project is doing is to prepare these organizations to be potentially also reaching other markets beyond the schools. What we have seen is that this entry-level school feeding program enables these associations also to reach the private market in order to generate income and employment and the conditions for these farmers to live sustainably. Thank you, Hardy. What are the lessons learned so far with this program? I think one important lesson is that it's very important to support farmers' organizations and cooperatives and associations because they need to reach markets. So there is a very strong correlation between organizational level and the capacity to supply products to major public policies and programs such as the National School Food Feeding Program. So what we have done in the Prosimary Project is to invest in technical assistance and rural extension to farmers' organizations to strengthen them. And with this strengthening to involve more women, more youth, the school food feeding program establishes a minimum quota for family farming in this context, also, what is a very important lesson learned is that the technical assistance contracted by the prosemi Project comes mainly from local civil society organizations, and this also allows them to supply products to local schools. What I see in this process that is also important is that we also have the specific training and activities of the projects with the local schools. So we have developed materials to prepare food with native ingredients, for example. Second aspect is that this is also education. When the students they actually go to the school and they consume. It creates a very important bond to the students to consume healthy products, ecological products, because it also has a family aspect. The students, they go back to their home and they bring with them all the aspects that are related to the food they consume within the school to important improvements into the health aspects of families and students relating also to a better performance of students within the school. Third aspect, which I think is a very important lesson learned, that has also allowed the project to engage more with youth. This has allowed the project to develop pedagogical material related to the schools and also a greater proximity with teachers. In some of the project activities, we have gone far beyond the school feeding program. What we have done also is to implement tentative models for agricultural gardens in the school. That means that some of the food now is grown within the school. So students not only are taught various dimensions of education within the classroom, but in the area of the school, there are some very specific areas that are devoted for growing food
0: thank you to hardy and to our reporter roberto
1: and that brings us to the end of episode 54. thanks as always to our producer here in rome francesco manetti and to our reporters roberto gonzalez and kira rainsby
0: but most of all thanks to you for listening to episode 54 of farm's food future brought to you by the international fund for agricultural development you can find out more about any of these stories at wwwifadorg forward slash podcasts. Join us again on the second Monday in March for an exciting episode on women's leadership in preserving traditional local foods and the impact of food systems on women and girls. And we'll be back again just two weeks later at end of March, joined by inspiring young rural voices to talk about cultural preservation.
1: Remember, we want to hear from you. What do you think about our stories and who you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch at podcasts at efat.org. And send us your voice or text messages to this address and we'll be happy to play you out in the next show. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favorite podcast platform. And please rate us.
0: And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you Good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson.
1: And from me, Michelle Tang, and the team here at EFAD.
0: Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.